Hello again everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Legends from the Moon. This is Mizuki, and again, I will be sharing to you yet another gothic novella from the 1800s, which is called The Vampire by John Polidori. This will be divided into three episodes. The Vampire by John Polidori was published in 1819 about a young and enigmatic Englishman named Aubrey who seduces young women to suck their blood and vanish before going on to another trip around Europe. In the 1800s, this classic vampire story inspired lots of works and was even made into a stage play because of its popularity at the time. Now, it's time for us again to dive into the macabre. The Vampire A Tale by John William Polidori Extract of a Letter from Geneva I breathe freely in the neighborhood of this lake. The ground upon which I tread has been subdued from the earliest ages. The principal objects which immediately strike my eye bring to my recollection scenes in which man acted the hero and was the chief object of interest. Not to look back to earlier times of battles and sieges, here is the best of Rousseau. Here is the house with an inscription denoting that the Genevan philosopher first drew breath under its roof. A little out of the town is Fernie, the residence of Voltaire. Where that wonderful, though certainly in many respects contemptible character, received, like the hermit of old, the visits of pilgrims, not only from his own nation, but from the farthest boundaries of Europe. Here too is Bonnet's abode, and a few steps beyond, the house of that astonishing woman, Madame de Stael, perhaps the first of her sex, who has really proved its often claimed equality with the nobler man. We have before had women who have written interesting novels and poems, in which their tactic of serving drawing-room characters has availed them. But never since the days of Helwarth have those faculties which are peculiar to man been developed as the possible inheritance of women. Though even here, as in the case of Helwarth, a sex had not been backward in alleging the existence of an Abelard in the person of M. Schlegel as the inspirer of her works. But to proceed, upon the same side of the lake, Gibbon, Bonnevard, Bradshaw, and others mark, as it were, the stages for our progress.
First, upon the other side, there was one house built by Diodati, the friend of Milton, which has contained within its walls for several months that poet whom we have so often read together, and who, if human passions remain the same, and human feelings, like cords on being swept by nature's impulses, shall vibrate as before, will be placed by posterity in the first rank for English poets. You must have heard, or the third canto of the child Harold will have informed you, that Lord Byron resided many months in this neighbourhood. I went with some friends a few days ago, after having seen Fernie, to view this mansion. I trod the floors with the same feelings of awe and respect as we did. Together, those of Shakespeare's dwelling at Stratford, I sat down in the chair of the saloon and satisfied myself that I was resting on what he had made his constant peace. I found a servant there who had lived with him. She, however, gave me but little information. She pointed out his bedchamber upon the same level as the saloon and dining room and informed me that he retired to rest at three, got up at two, and employed himself a long time over his toilet, that he never went to sleep without a pair of pistols and a dagger by his side, and that he never ate animal food. He apparently spent some part of every day upon the lake in an English boat, there is a balcony from the saloon which looks upon the lake and the mountain jewel, and I imagine that it must have been hence he contemplated the storm so magnificently described in the third canto. For you have formed here a most extensive view of all the points he has therein depicted. I can fancy him like this cave of pine. Whilst all around was some to repose, still waking to observe, what gave but a weak image of the storms which had desolated his own breast. The sky is changed, and such a change, overnight, and storm and darkness, yet are wondrous strong. Yet lovely in your strength, as is the light of a dark-eyed woman. Far along from peak to peak, the rattling crags among leaks of the light thunder. Not from one lone cloud, but every mountain now hath found a tongue. And Jura answers through her misty shroud, back to the joyous Alps who call to her aloud. And this is in the night, most glorious night. Thou art not sent for slumber, let it be a shadow in thy far and fierce delight, a portion of the tempest and of me, how the lit lake shines the phosphoric sea, 
and the big rain comets dancing to the earth. And now the gent is black, and now the glee of the loud hills shakes with its mountain mirth, as if they did rejoice to a young earthquake's birth. Now, where the swift Rhine cleaves its way between heights which appear, as lovers have parted in haste, his mind depths so intervene that they can meet no more, though broken-hearted. Though in the souls which are thus each other thwarted, love is the very root of the fond rage, which blighted their life's bloom and then departed, itself expired but leaving. Them an age of years or winter, war within themselves to rage. I went down to the little port, if I may use the expression, where in his vessel used to lay, in converse with the cottager who had the care of it. He may smile, but I have my pleasure in thus helping my personification of the individual I admire by attaining to the knowledge of those circumstances which were daily around him. I have made numerous inquiries in the town concerning him, but can learn nothing. He only went into society there once, when M. Bittet took him to the house of a lady to spend the evening. They say he is a very singular man, and seem to think him very uncivil. Amongst other things, they relate that having invited M. Pitet and Bonskitan to dinner, he went on to the lake to Shalom, leaving a gentleman who travelled with him to receive them and make his apologies. Another evening, being invited to the house of Lady D.H., he promised to attend. But upon approaching the windows of her ladyship's villa, and perceiving the room to be full of company, he sat down his friend, desiring him to plead his excuse, and immediately turned home. This will serve as a contradiction to the reports which you tell me is current in England, of his having been avoided by his countrymen on the continent. The case happens to be directly the reverse, as he has been generally sought by them. Though, on most occasions, apparently without success. It is said indeed that upon paying his first visit at Copy, following the servant who had announced his name, he was surprised to meet a lady carried out of fainting. But before he had been seated many minutes, the same lady, who had been so affected at the sound of his name, returned and conversed with him a considerable time. Such as female curiosity and affectation. He visited Coppet frequently, and of course associated there with several of his countrymen, who evinced no reluctance to meet him whom his enemies alone would represent as an outcast. Though I have been so unsuccessful in this town, I have been more fortunate in my inquiries elsewhere. 
There is a society three or four miles from Geneva, at the center of which is the Countess of Bruins, a Russian lady, well acquainted with the Algerman de la Société, and has collected them round herself at her mansion. It is chiefly here, I find, that the gentleman who travelled with Lord Byron as physician sought for society. He used almost every day to cross the lake by himself in one of their flat-bottomed boats and return after passing the evening with his friends about eleven or twelve at night. Often whilst the storms were raging in the circling summit of the mountains around. As he became intimate from long acquaintance with several of the families in this neighborhood, I have gathered from their accounts some excellent traits of his lordship's character, which I will relate to you at some future opportunity. I must, however, free him from one imputation attached to him, of having in his house two sisters as the partakers of his revels. This is, like many other charges which have been brought against his lordship, entirely destitute of truth. His only companion was the physician I have already mentioned. The report originated from the following circumstance. Mr. Percy Boyce Shelley, a gentleman well known for extravagance of doctrine and for his daring in their profession, even to sign himself with the title of the Theus in the album of the Shemuni, having taken a house below, in which he resided with Miss M. Dolly Godwin and Miss Claremont, the daughters of the celebrated Mr. Godwin. They were frequently visitors at Deodati, and were often seen upon the lake with his lordship, which gave rise to the report the truth of which is here positively denied. Among other things which the lady, from whom I procured these anecdotes, related to me, she mentioned the outline of a ghost story by Lord Myron. It appears that one evening, Lord B., Mr. P. B. Shelley, the two ladies and the gentleman before alluded to, after having produced a German work, which was entitled Phantasmagoriana, began relating ghost stories. When his lordship, having recited the beginning of Christabel, then published, the whole took so strong a hold of Mr. Shelley's mind that he suddenly started up and ran out of the room. The physician and Lord Byron followed, and discovered him leaning against the mantelpiece, with cold drops of perspiration trickling down his face. After having given him something to refresh him, upon inquiring to the cause of his alarm, they found that his wild imagination having pictured to him the bosom of one of the ladies with eyes, which was reported of a lady in this neighborhood where he lived. He was obliged to leave the room in order to destroy the impression.
it was afterwards proposed, in the course of conversation, that each of the company present should write a tale depending upon some supernatural agency, which was undertaken by Lord B, the physician, and Miss M. W. Godwin. My friend, the lady above referred to, had in her possession the outline of each of these stories. I obtained them as a great favour, and herewith forward them to you, as I was assured that you would feel as much curiosity as myself. For you said the abortions of so great a genius, and those immediately under his influence. That ends the first episode of The Vampire. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in next time for the second episode entitled The Vampire Introduction. Don't forget to leave your comments and suggestions. Good night.